This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That's me. I am part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm speaking to you from Vox Media headquarters in New York City. I won't be here for long, though. We're about to go to California to Rancho Palos Verdes, site of the 2018 Code Conference, where we talked to many awesome people. It was a great event. If you missed it, I have good news for you. You're going to be able to hear it all right here and over at Kara Swisher's podcast, Recode Decode. Before we start that, though, one quick ask. Tell someone else about this show. See? Easy. Thanks. Okay, here's an interview from Code Conference, which I produce with Recode's Kara Swisher. This is an interview I did with James Murdoch, who's currently the CEO of 21st Century Fox. He's going to be doing something else in the near future, though, which is what we talked about at Code. Let's listen now. Please welcome back Peter Kafka. Hey guys, that is a very cool sculpture. You should definitely check it out tonight, maybe after a drink or two. Our next guest is someone who said, yeah, I'd come to Code Conference last fall. Then he said he was gonna sell his company. And now things are getting even more interesting. So please welcome James Murdoch from 21st Century Fox. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me here. It's nice to be here. Thanks for coming. Can we, can we call this an exit interview? Uh, no, not yet. I you're, still have a few projects to... But you're, running, you're CEO of 21st Century Fox. Some point in the nearish future, you're not going to be. Either Disney is going to buy the company and you won't be CEO, or maybe Comcast will buy the company. Um, what are you going to do after that? Well, I don't know. I think, um, I think, the, I think the first thing is that I'm, I'm really focused on trying to you know, land the plane. I think, uh, you know, when you have a big transaction like this, it's a, you know, it's not, it's not uh, entirely straightforward. So there's quite a lot of work to do. Um, and, you know, we have to see which way things kind of play out. Um, but there's regulatory work. We're well underway with that, with the merger with yep. Disney and the spin of the new Fox. Um, so there's a number of months uh, left to go there. And, uh, and then at the right time, I'll think about something new. But, uh, but I do think it's an exciting time when we look out over the next number of years uh, and just to see you know, the opportunity to dive into and be useful in a number of areas. So I don't really know yet. But I think right now, I'm 100% focused just on getting this thing done uh, and doing what's right for the business, for my colleagues, and for all our shareholders. I want to ask about Comcast in a minute, but, but if the Disney deal goes through as planned, like we said, you don't have a role at Disney, you don't have a role at the, the stub company, New Fox. Um, you've been working for the Murdoch family business for all your life, basically, um, trying to build a really big media business. Now you're at a point where this has become, become an even bigger media business. Why not stick it out and, and run that thing that you've been working to build for decades? Well, I think you know I've been in the business for 23 years now, and I you know and and, and been lucky to be involved in some great projects from building our Asian business uh, and uh, at Star TV to you know running our European business, building out our Italian and German companies, and running our UK business. Coming back here and uh, and being CEO for the last number of years of the whole company, and I feel like after a period of time, um, you know, you might look at it and say, what's the you know what's Whereas my ambition or what's driving me to do things? And I think you know, the right choice here was to create a firm in a merged Disney Fox, which is the transaction that we have before us and that we've agreed to, um, that can be really competitive and super competitive going forward in an industry that's changed a lot. It's an industry that continues to thrive on scale. And I think what we've been able to build, the 21st Century Fox, is genuinely unique. It's why people are interested in it. So if you want to be a global company, if you want to produce high-quality content at a high 
volume everywhere from you know Karnataka to um, you know New York. That's you know there aren't many firms that do that, and I think so. For for me, when I looked at it, I thought actually this is really a great this is a great answer for these businesses and in our industry. Right, you're describing why. Disney would want to buy it, not why you wouldn't want to stick around and run it. Well, but then you look at it and you say, well, every five years or so, I mean, every five years or so, I, I sort of do something new-ish. So I think, you know, I started out, Kara and I were talking before, you know, we used to meet at these conferences in the 90s. I spent a bunch of time, you know, in the 90s working on in the digital area, et cetera. I moved to Hong Kong, yep. built our star business out for a number of years there. Moved to London, did a number of things there, and two different jobs. And it's been kind of the five-year mark since I moved back to New York, so I think it's time to do something new. All right, I'm not going to get you to announce the new job yet on stage. No. Okay. Um, the, Com the Comcast well, deal... I don't, I don't know what it is. So it's, you know, Fair enough. Um, open to ideas. Comcast tried to buy this, tried to buy you guys once. You said, no, we want to sell to Disney. Now they've literally put out a press release instead of theoretically putting out a press release saying... We, want to, we really want to buy this company, or we're going to make another bid. Explain to this audience why it seems like your position is we prefer to sell to Disney, even though Comcast is going to offer us more money. Well, we have a, I mean, we made a, an extensive filing around this um, that has all the details in it for the, for the record. But essentially, we had an agreement with Disney, and we have an agreement with Disney, which we find very attractive for our shareholders. It's an all-stock agreement. Um, we think the prospects for the new firm are very strong. And we think from a regulatory perspective, and we thought as well in December from a regulatory perspective that you have a higher, uh, a higher certainty of close. So when you weigh up all of those factors, that's really what we thought was the right thing to do. Now, whether or not, whether or not the board is asked to consider a different offer from somebody else, um, in the future, we'll deal with that as we go. We have responsibilities to our shareholders. We know what those are, and we're going to get the right answer for I mean, them. Comcast has literally day. said, we're going to make another bid. It's yep. going to be all cash. It'll be more than what Disney's paying. But they haven't done it yet. Right. But okay. So, you know, you have to, what did you say? But they're coming. So but they're coming. I think, you know, look, what we have, what we have to do is continue to plow kind of the fur that we're on here and um, until something changes. So I think right now, you know, we're making a lot of progress on uh, the regulatory front um, with uh, sort of getting all the right filings in and doing that stuff with Disney. And if something changes that the board has to consider, they know what to do and we know how to deal with that. So let's pull back even further. Um, you, your brother, especially your father, have been building Fox for decades and decades, trying to become a really big company. You're trying to buy Time Warner a couple years ago. Now you're selling, not the entire company, but a big chunk of it. Jeff Bukas is trying to sell Time Warner. Uh, Sherry Redstone and Les Moonves can't agree on it, but they really want to sell those two companies, Viacom and, and CBS. All the people who've been building these big media assets have decided it's, it's time to sell. Um, shouldn't that worry me if I'm on the, on the other edge of the table? Well, I don't think so. I think, that, I think it's not so much are you selling or are you buying? It's a question of what kind of firms are going to be the most competitive in this area going forward and in, the, and in this piece. And I think what we concluded, um, certainly what I feel, is that you know, from an organic perspective, you know, we can do a lot. We can continue to grow our business. And our business is growing fast. It's growing super fast in India, super fast across Latin America. Nobody really focuses on our Latin American business. It's a very large business today. Um, our European businesses, the skies, have really been transformed over the last sort of 15 years in terms of scale and velocity. And, um, and our studio business, our creative business in television and film here in the U.S. has been you know, pretty strong, actually. And we made, I think, a lot of the right bets in terms of focusing on big brands that matter in an environment where you were going to have much, much more pressure on the kind of cable bundle. You wanted to make sure that you were somewhere where you really, you know, you it really mattered to customers that you were included there. So we made these bets. We kind of set that strategy a number of years ago. We simplified our business. We really transformed it um, in a number of different ways. And we look at it today and say, 
we like our prospects. We think it can continue to grow and we can be successful. But in a but, certain context of a merger with another firm, you may be able to really accelerate that and kind of move forward in a different way. And for the businesses themselves, we care a lot about that. And for our shareholders, we care a lot about that. So it's a question, whether you're a buyer or a seller, the point is the combination of these firms is something that we think is very attractive. And that's, that's really what's driving our thinking. But you were, you were a buyer a couple years ago. And again, I don't want to beat this in the ground, but it seems like a lot of folks have been running media businesses for a long time are saying, now's a good time to get out. And they're all sort of calling the top at the same time. And you've got, you know, in AT&T's case, a phone company, and, and you've got other sort of tech companies moving around. And it seems like I they should be asking themselves, why do these guys not want to sell their media assets? Well, I think there are, I, think, I don't think you can put it all in one bucket, right? I think actually what's happened is this kind of, the pack has kind of separated, right? And there are certain firms with certain characteristics that make them particularly attractive in the future. And you can think about, you know, you can think about owning IP, you can think about um, the, the level of excellence creatively in a firm, you can think about uh, international reach and, and more than reach depth actually in big markets that really matter. We often talk about investing in markets that in success will really change our lives as opposed to kind of being too spread too thin on the toast. Um, we'd much rather be a big investor in key places where we really believe in. So I think, you know, for us, having done all those things and the business getting to a certain scale and continuing to grow, it was just a question of if there were, if there, you know, in the presence of another opportunity that may be more attractive and can accelerate the business further and create a global platform for video consumption and creation, we think that's very, very attractive, a platform like that, particularly in an environment where, as you said, you do have multiple new players kind of circling or investing heavily in, in the space, um, and you do have really a revolution in terms of the barriers to entry for downstream distribution really coming down, the untethering of kind of bundled video from infrastructure. Um, and we think those two things mean that if you know, content really is going to be king, and we see the quality that we're producing and the breadth of it and how much engagement it's driving, if content really is going to be king, the opportunity to build platforms with that is really profound. And that's why you look at it and say, okay, how do I do that? Can I do that alone? Or do I have a lot of counterparty risk? Do I have to buy other programs from people, et cetera? And I think what you want to do is eliminate, to the extent you can, the amount of counterparty risk you have. And you really want to be a free agent to build those platforms and populate those platforms with programming that's proven to be really exciting and engaging for customers. I mean, it seems like one, one common thread here is that the buyers, the perceived buyers, the perceived threats to the established media guys are really distributors that have direct access to the consumer, whether it's AT&T, or Netflix, and then theoretically we're waiting for Apple to really get into it, and Google and Facebook and Amazon are all playing around to, to different degrees. Would, would things be different had you guys moved more quickly to, to sell your own stuff directly to consumers? Well, we, we are one of the biggest direct-to-consumer firms in the world, right? So if I look at our Hotstar business in India, which is a mobile, uh, a mobile video app that we launched a few, uh, two years ago, um, you know, we have 145 million average uh, monthly uniques now, um, interacting directly with the platform over up to 2 billion minutes a day actually um, uh, across that platform in India. At the Sky business, with the Sky Go over the top business and Now TV, alongside the overall kind of more traditional but yep. digital and, and, and very different from the MVPDs here, 23 million 
families, uh, households, uh, and many, many more customers interacting with that platform there. And then in our joint venture with Disney and Comcast, the Hulu business has accelerated tremendously over the last year and is now a 20 million plus. Um, but up until recently business. in the US, you were primarily in the bundled TV business. You were in the bundle that was good for you. And you recently, in the last couple of years, you said, we're going to start breaking out from that, but you haven't gotten there yet. And you know, Disney quite clearly is saying, look, we want to take on Netflix doing what they're doing directly. That's the rationale in part for buying you. Um, everyone says they want this direct business. Was this something that you had ambitions to do in the U.S. and just didn't get to in time? Well, I think it's something we've been doing. We did it in, through the joint venture with Hulu, right. generally speaking, as a big, you know, as, as, a, as a real strategic priority for us over the last number of years. Um, but we were never in the, you know, I guess since, since we sold direct, our stake in DirecTV, we really haven't been in the direct-to-consumer business directly other than the Hulu piece here. But that's changing. Um, no, I, 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 don't, I don't think, I think we did get to it. I don't know. I just explained to you how we got to it. Do you think the media guys in general? And I think it's one of the reasons why this company is valuable, right? It's one of the reasons why we're growing so fast. If I look at our, it's not because of Hulu business, though. It's because of your no, film it's assets. No, our, it's, it's our Asian assets. It's our European assets. It's the quality of those businesses. It's the quality of the creative output and brands in National Geographic, FX, our film company, etc. That's what's really driving it. And I think that's that's a good thing. I think that's and that's why that's why it's a really good component part when you're trying to build something bigger. Whether or not you can do it organically or inorganically is kind of, you know, is the key issue. Whether you're buying or selling is semantics. It's about the combination of these firms. Do you have advice for the, the people who are not media companies who are buying media companies, whether they're traditional distributors like AT&T or the tech guys who haven't traditionally been in media and are now looking at it and maybe they want to buy something directly or maybe they want to buy their own stuff and distribute it? What have you figured out about media that they might want to know? Well, I don't know what I've figured out, but I, I would say it is interesting that there aren't that many firms that have been able to be successful in a big way with a diversity of content and a, and a consistent period, right? There's only a handful of big movie studios, um, maybe shrinking depending on how you define the ones on the, you know, yep. on the bubble. Um, there's only a handful of really big scripted television producers uh, in the world that really do it on a global basis uh, and, 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 and are successful at it. And I think part of that is managing, you know, managing a creative business is quite challenging. I don't think it's that different. I think every part of every business, every great business is creative. Um, but understanding, you know, understanding how to manage a creative business, understanding the diversity of output you'll be required to, to, to have and to encourage. And also, in our case at least, we've been very entrepreneurial in how we do it. We really try to empower our creators and our creative partners and our creative executives to go out and really try to push the envelope in terms of you know, kind of changing, you know, changing the way we tell stories constantly, trying to really do things that are excellent. We often fail, and I think being tolerant of failure is important, but that's something that every great company should be able to do. So I think the one issue that we see with the kind of you know, the dabbling, right, if you look at like an apple, right, is that going piece by piece, one by one, um, show by show, et cetera, is going to take a long time to really move the dial and have something yep. mega. I do think, you know, I do think that's going to be very challenging. If you look at the kind of investment that Netflix is required to make in anticipation of potentially they're not being able to acquire rights from outside programmers, they're just doing a huge amount of original production. Those are enormous bets. And then when you add on top of that, you know, um, live sports and things of that nature. There are huge, um, there are huge costs and but huge Netflix barriers. Netflix sort to do of that. made it look easy, right? Like a few years ago, they were selling your repeats. You guys were happy to sell repeats. Really, just a handful of years ago, they got into with House of Lies, right? Cards. Cards. Thank you. Um, House of Lies is on Showtime, I think. Uh, 
and then they've, they've zoomed it up, and right, they've thrown a lot of money at it. Um, we don't actually know how things are performing, but they have a lot of subscribers. It seems to work. It seems like if you're willing to throw a lot of money at the problem and more money than the traditional media companies are willing to spend, you can solve for this. Well, we spend a lot more than them on a global basis, a lot more. Whenever I mean, we do a chart what, that shows their content budget versus yours, excluding yeah, sports. Yeah, but you'll, look at, you'll, you'll be looking at Fox Networks Group or whatever it is. But when I add up the volume around the world, between the skies, star, the Fox businesses, natural graphic, and our sports yep. business, we invest an enormous amount on screen for our customers. Not to mention our film business, right? Which is you know, a huge production commitment every year as well. So I think, but I think that, I don't think it looks easy. I think it actually looks hard. And I think they've done a great job in many ways, really delivering a user experience for customers that has raised the bar, I think, for competitors generally. So what's really great about seeing Netflix succeed um, is that I think the user experience has become kind of front and center for people. And for many, many years, we've had this kind of calcified, sort of established MVPD business here in the US with the same number of players. We had some hopes when AT&T and Fios kind of started to grow, but they're yeah. not anymore. Um, but you really haven't had that much competition because you've had these franchise cable monopolies that famously you know, kind of haven't, um, well, their customers hate them because they deliver a terrible user experience. Um, I mean, that's kind of, we know that. So now you have this new layer of competition. You're actually seeing investment. I mean, Comcast with Xfinity is a good product. If I look at the SkyQ business in the UK and rolling out in Germany and Italy now, it's another step change above that in terms of user experience. The mobile video about Netflix is there's no ads in it. Yeah, that's, all, that's also, that's a, lot, that's a lot of what we do with our on-demand platforms as well. Right? And one of the things you like to do, for example, at Hulu, is give the customer an option to say, listen, I'll have a limited ad experience or I'll pay a premium to have like four bucks no more, ads. Right? Yeah. And, but the major majority of Hulu customers are still buying the cheaper version with ads, right? Randy is here, um, but I think, it's, I, think, I think it's about evens. Do you think that's because people are just not used to the idea that they can buy their way out of the ad experience? Or do no, you think people I, think like ads? A, I think they make a choice. I think they say that's, you know, for four bucks, I'm getting a limited ad, four bucks extra, I can do it this way. For four bucks less a month, I'll have, you know, I'll have limited ads. It's not a terrible experience. The ads are much lighter load than you see in broadcaster cable generally. So I think they make a choice. And I think once you empower the customer and you make it really transparent, that it's really about how they're valuing their time and how they're valuing and dealing with their priorities, then also they complain a lot less about the ads because they've been given the choice and empowered. So a lot of, I think, what the whole industry is doing is trying to figure this out. I think the advertising business is one that um, you know, does look very, you know, really tricky going forward in scripted entertainment. You know, not in the, in the short term, you know, you'll have hits, you'll have bits and pieces, but just, just, and I've said this many times before, you know, we invest an enormous amount in telling these stories as well as we can and kind of achieving the suspension of disbelief when you really have the customer or the viewer enjoying what they're seeing and you interrupt them um, to, you know, communicate something about Kit Kats or beer or something like that. It's just not a good experience. So I think we have to do much, much more investing. So in you guys are playing around with making it shorter. You're doing these six second ads and mm -hmm. targeting. But do you think that eventually it's just a question of you're either going to give them ads or not? And, and, and we keep, every year we have a discussion, well, is TV advertising finally going to tip over because the viewers are down, et cetera, uh, subscriber numbers are down, and then the, it keeps ticking up, you know, or at least flat. I mean, when do you think, t do you think TV advertising is going to tip over at some point? 
I think it's going to be hard to distinguish kind of digital video advertising from TV advertising, and I think, but I think linear TV videos that run while I'm watching a TV show. Yeah, or a video look, but show. I think that's happened. I think you're going to see continued growth there, but you're going to see ad formats develop very differently, right? If I can get paid more by you know two second little impressions that scroll by in a news feed, which is miraculous, by the way, um, then people will do that in shorter spots, less interruptive. I think there's a lot of innovation that can happen there, but I also think we're focused on, and I know we are focused on, particularly some of our premium scripted entertainment, really delivering it ad-free, just straight up, and not having it part of the business model. So our FX plus, FX premium business that you can buy as like a, a, a slightly lower cost um, kind of premium channel on top of your Comcast subscription or whatever it is, um, has zero ads and is a great experience with some of the best scripted entertainment like Atlanta or the Americans or whatever. And that's a great service. In Europe, our Sky Atlantic business is largely without ads and uninterrupted in our big shows. Um, and we're going to continue to do that. The next two speakers are on stage are Evan Spiegel from Snap, Cheryl Sandberg from Facebook. They run advertising businesses. In Cheryl's case, it's a really, really big advertising business. Do you think they ought to be considering selling something directly to consumers and not having a, being an ad supported business? I, I, don't, I mean, it's a question. I mean, maybe you're going to be talking to them about it. I think yeah, I'm um, asking you first. I think the question there isn't so much. Well, we have these ads and it works like this, but if you don't want them, you'll pay X, right? The question is, you have this data and you have this compact with your customers that's a little more you know, straightforward than like this super long terms of conditions thing yeah. that nobody reads. And you have to decide, do I have a natural right to maximize profitability around my customer's privacy? Um, or I'll just charge them to buy themselves out of it. I think that's like a, I don't think that's the right question to ask. I think it's more about the ad model in a social network. Is that really a, is that driving the right behaviors? Is, is engagement above all driving us to lowest common denominators to just have more clicks and more time and all of that stuff? I think that's probably true. And then yeah, when you have like a you have communication, an question. and then when you have a communication platform, I think it was, I think it was Jaron Lanier who said the other day, that you know, a communication platform connecting billions of people where every single conversation is mediated by somebody spending money precisely to manipulate them is probably not something that's, I, I think, from a societal perspective, you know, a great thing to have. But then you have the second issue, which is they look less like an ad business and more like an attack surface at this point. I mean, from a national security perspective as well, you really worry about you know, this, this kind of a platform. And I, I hope that they're dealing with that as seriously as they say they are. And attacks, just to spell it out, in tax service because they're open to well, the we, world. We look at all the stuff that goes on in that platform, be it from, you know, uh, you can have neo-Nazis or foreign governments or political actors or whatever. It's, not, it's like easy to do. You can just buy people's accounts and buy their identities. There are these farms, right, that you can do that. And you just go and recreate those and go and manipulate the whole environment. That doesn't seem great. Your, your father's been an outspoken critic of, of Google in the past, Facebook now, uh, News Corp in particular, the sister company, uh, c complains a lot about Facebook. But do you think at some point that Facebook turns around and comes to companies like yourself and says, all right, we're going to follow this cable model and we're going to pay you X amount per year and you're going to give us your content, you're going to stop complaining so much? Is that realistic? I would, I would doubt it, but I do think in that, in, in that sort of a, as, as, as simple a way as that. I, I would say, though, that I think there is a question, and we work closely with Google and Facebook on some of these issues, more, more, more and less successfully depending on the week. But I think, 
I think at the end of the day, when you have that much, when you have that much commerce and that much sort of enterprise being driven by what's populating the platform, be it indexed, you know, sites for search and the content associated with that, the actual content that's you know on YouTube and other things that are copyrighted materials that people have invested in a lot, I think there is a question of how much these platforms invest in that, um, and that's something that I don't think has been really resolved. That said, you, you know, YouTube has been a great partner since they've started YouTube TV, which is a great new kind of competitor in the digital video space. Um, we supply all of our brands to them. Um, they're growing really fast, um, as is Hulu's live service and some others in that space. And, uh, you know, but there are places where you'd like people to do better in terms of piracy, in terms of taking stuff down, and so on and so forth. I don't know if you saw the news today, but, but uh, Roseanne Barr got fired by Disney for a tweet. I noted that. You run a big media company. Have you ever wanted to fire someone for one of their tweets? <laughs> or gotten close to it? Um, well, my, my father gave up Twitter. So, uh, you know, so that was, I think it's a, I think, I think people tweeting in the public space is always just, there's risk there. And I think firms that are associated with people and that you have, you know, if you have colleagues or staff or creative partners like that, there's a balance between them having an independent voice out there and then what are they doing for their brand and for the, and for the business overall. And you have to be, you have to be careful about that. Um, I mean, so, your business, a lot of your business you were describing is based on talent, people who have an out, mm -hmm. a personality, right? Um, do you have to consider now, well, we like what you do, but we're worried that you might express this opinion or that opinion on social media? Um, well, you do have, I mean, you, in, certain, in certain instances, you actually, you contract around that, right? So right. You, try to, you try to have, you know, certain norms. Um, but otherwise, you have to decide, you know, when is, somebody crossing, when is somebody crossing a certain line? I didn't follow the Roseanne thing closely, but clearly she crossed a line and they, and they decided to move on on the show and, and be done with it. Giant hit show. They decided they didn't want to run anymore. It was only one year, though, right? So. Yeah, still. I mean, it only just came back. They don't, they don't get giant hits very often in, in TV, as yeah, you Yeah, know. but look, you have, to, you, have to, you have to make the right call, right? I mean, it's not, it's not really about just keeping that audience going. It's about what's the right thing to do, what's the right thing for your company, for the brand, for your customers, but also for your colleagues inside the business. And do you believe in things or do you not? And you have to try that. You do have to be mindful that you have to, diver you have to tolerate a huge diversity of voices because all of your creative partners, all of your journalists, all of these people have independent identities and ways to broadcast, et cetera, and they're not all going to agree with each other, and you're not going to agree with them all. Speaking of brands and identities and things you agree with or don't agree with, um, my educated guess is, is your politics are very different than the politics you see on Fox News, a giant asset for 21st century. I try Fox. to keep my politics sort of separate from the business. Yeah, so I said um, it's my educated guess that they're different. Do you have any regret about stuff that's on Fox News and the influence that Fox News has on overall population and our president in particular? Look, I think that, um, I think in a really diverse company that has, you know, we have a lot of output in news as well, right? And TG24 or Sky News and Fox News um, or Star News when we had it, you know, they're all, they're all different. Um, and they have, and they'll have different voices and, and different things. And then within them, you have a lot of diversity. I think one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is they might focus on a certain set of commentators or, you know, sort of opinion show leaders, um, but they don't actually look at the whole output there as well. And I think that there's, so I think there is a lot of diversity if I look at, you know, between Sean Hannity and Shep Smith and Chris Wallace, there's a big spectrum. Right, there. but the most popular people on Fox are the opinion people or the Fox and Friends show, then you guys will, the standard argument is that, that, that's opinion, it's not news, it's different, but the, the stuff that is influencing a lot of the debate and very clearly influencing the president, 
comes from the people you would describe as a well, I, I couldn't possibly comment on the president's, you know, television habits. Um, according Executive to, time. Acor- well, according to uh, the, administra- the small business administrator, he's, doesn't, he's working so super hard he couldn't be watching that much, <laughs> that much cable TV. So I heard that. We can only hope. Um, but I think... Uh, but look, you have to have a diversity of out. You have to have a diversity of voices there. So while I'm not going to agree with everything that goes on every single you know channel that we own or every producer makes, um, I'm also very proud of the diversity that we foster, from National Geographic to FX to Fox News to you know the Deadpool movie last weekend. They're great. Last summer, after the president said there's good people on both sides of the Charlottesville Nazi uh, march, um, you made a point of, of donating a million dollars to the ADL. He didn't make a public statement, but it was a semi-public statement. It was clearly in opposition to, to what President Trump had said. Did you get any feedback internally about that? I, I mean, I, I got some feedback internally, a lot, a lot actually, and, um, and all of it very positive, actually. A lot of colleagues um, wrote to me privately, et cetera. I don't need to say what they said. But, um, but I think people, I think a lot of people in the country felt sick uh, that week and, you know, and were worried about this trend, et cetera. I think this question of hate speech um, and hate groups, uh, you know, both having platforms to organize, to my point earlier, um, that are very, very effective, but also then being normalized, particularly around things like you know, neo-Nazis in the streets of Charlottesville or Boston, for example, marching around. It's, um, it's very scary, and I think we're also at a point where you know, it's super important to remember um, what all that means. You know, our Holocaust survivors are dwindling um, as time goes on. It's super important to record their stories and to make sure that we're talking about their stories all the time and reminding people you know, what happens when this stuff gets out of hand and what did happen to a major population. Um, so I just felt it was important to reach out to, you know, to reach out to people and encourage them to do the same. It was more a solicitation and trying to lead by example. Um, and I hope that everyone does more of it. And I'll let the applause go for a second. And I want to open up to questions for you guys. So I've got more, but I bet you do as well. I can't see anybody, so. There we go. Hi, uh, John Ford from CNBC. Um, With the Me Too movement, Time's Up, uh, a number of of folks in entertainment, uh, including inclusion writers, or at least talking about it at this stage, there's a lot of heat around the subject of diversity, but I'm wondering how much of this cultural moment is just going to pass? Are there specific things that you are doing and that you see others in the industry in positions of power doing to make sure that there's actual lasting change in the cultures of how media businesses are run uh, so that five, ten years from now we won't be in the same position? Well, that's a, that's a great question, um, because you worry about these things when you have suddenly this kind of this explosion of noise around an issue. Is it really going to create long-term behaviors and culture change that is necessary? And I think, number one, there's a bunch of things going on there in terms of you have the broad, you have the broad diversity issue and inclus- inclusion issue, and then you have the kind of Me Too sort of harassment, abuse kind of you know, issue. And they're similar. I mean, I guess they're related, um, but they are kind of different, I think. Number one is um, we have to do as good. We have to do the best job we can around making sure that when we're hiring, um, particularly in the creative side of the business, where you don't have as many female or people of color directing shows and so on and so forth, that we just have to make some. You know, frankly, we just have to make some rules. Um, and at FX, for example, which is our biggest volume of kind of scripted production, we've done that. Um, and John Landgraf there has really led from the front to say he's going to have a much a much more you know diverse slate of directors and writers and so forth. Um, and that's working. And I think he's actually for years been promoting um, 
um, a super diverse output in terms of creators. Um, if you look at uh, if, you, if you look at that if you look at that output any any day. Um, so I think we have to do that as an industry. I think also what we have to do is make sure that we have new talent coming in to the business at a, at a, at a youth level. Um, people who are finding the industry accessible to come and tell their stories and have jobs. So for example, it's a small thing, but you know, for a number of years, we've been very involved with a thing called the Ghetto Film School, which takes you know, promising young um, storytellers out of uh, you know, communities that wouldn't necessarily feel like they had accessibility to this industry and give them a top-notch, you know, almost college-level de uh, degree in film and television production um, and then aid them as a network of graduates of that program to then get jobs, get their union cards, move into the industry, et cetera. And that's really starting to bear fruit. Um, and I think we have to be very, very clear that, you know, not just in the sort of the people in front of the camera um, that you're showcasing diversity, but all the way through the company, you're doing it as well. So we're actually, you know, we feel pretty good about, for example, our, our, if you look at our numbers on uh, women in powerful positions in the business, you know, of our senior managers, some, I think, uh, I think almost 40% now uh, are women um, from like vice president, and that's kind of a dumb statistic, but, but it's good uh, relative to everything out there. But we want to do more of that. Um, I promised I wouldn't ask all about Fox News for half an hour, but I, okay. I can't help myself. You spent tens of millions of dollars settling harassment charges and, and, and other complaints about the culture at Fox News. Do you think that that has been solved there, that whatever problem had been going on there that was systemic has been fixed? Geez, you never say it's, I mean, look, you look at all of this crazy stuff in the, in the news industry, news and entertainment industry, but I mean, it looks like nobody can keep their pants on. It's unbelievable. Um, and you, I mean, you just look across the, it's, you know, I don't want to, we all know, we've seen it across all these different companies and all these different people who never thought, you never thought you would have seen that. Um, God, I mean, if they don't know if somebody doesn't know now at Fox News that nothing is going to protect them if they behave that way, that's just, that would be incredible to me. So I think we have to be, we've been really clear, we've communicated as best we can, we've had to deal with some legal issues, there's, you know, there's nuance in some of these things, but we've moved, you mentioned, you know, you mentioned canceling the Roseanne show. You know, our number one network show on Fox News was The O'Reilly Factor. Yep. We had to make a decision, right, um, around some allegations that came to light, and we made the decision. So you have to, I think when you lead like that, people get the message pretty, pretty clearly. I think this larger question of inclusion and diversity in the, in the overall industry is, is a hard one. We're not really going to know for another you know, five, ten years how sustainable it is. But I think, I think real breakthroughs have been made, and I think in terms of Look at the Me Too stuff, little things like changing our policies around where you can, you know, where you can have certain kinds of meetings and how many people have to be there. You hate to have to micromanage that, but if you can guarantee that you're not gonna have casting meetings in hotels with only one, with only one person in it, um, then you're probably you know, gonna eliminate the opportunity for abuse across a pretty broad, broad, broad swath. That's our goal. Um, I wanna give you guys a chance to ask a couple more questions, but you've gotta ask them quickly and then James has to answer them quickly. Hi, uh, Dan Benton. I'm a uh, over here. I'm a uh, uh, public market tech investor, and I have a big uh, position in Tesla. Uh, you are on the board of Tesla. Um, do you think that Elon and the company are treated fairly by the press? Number one, and number two, do you think it's an effective countermeasure to engage in uh, 3 a.m. Uh, uh, tweet storms? Uh, well, look, I would say one thing about the press, and no offense to all the press in the room, but you know, if you ask yourself the question, if there's something that you actually have direct knowledge of and know something about, 
and you read an article about it in a newspaper or on a website or wherever it is, how many times is it perfectly accurate? Never, right? Yet we look at all the other stuff that we have no direct knowledge of, and we go, oh, well, the New York Times said X, Y, or Z. Or Peter Kafka said it. It must be, it must Probably. be okay. But I think, so I think that there is a, there's a problem. I think there is sometimes a problem in terms of the way the business press covers all companies. And they get, a, they get interested in a particular subject and they maybe lose the forest for the trees. Um, or they want to write about but politics when, the when they should be writing about But fine when the business press writes how great his cars are. But well, hang on, I'm not, <laughs> hang on. So I'm saying there are challenges in business coverage generally. And the way, you know, the way that, uh, you know, the way that the company and Elon respond to that is, you know, it's, it's really his call. Last question here. Uh, James, Alex Sherman at CNBC. Uh, Peter gave this sort of a game effort, but I'm going to try one more time. Um, talking to other legacy media CEOs when Fox decided to sell the bulk of their assets, there was genuine shock, surprise. Something changed from 2014 when you were looking to buy Time Warner to now with you and your father deciding to sell. Was that a realization that Fox is no longer that well positioned on content spend, given the various new players that are out there? Or was it something else that was the driving motivation to say, now is the time that we are going to sell? So look, I mean, if you just go back to the Peter's question before, first of all, well, first of all, we're all really, we're all, we're all, we've been talking for years about how fast things change in our industry, right? So 14 to 17 is, you know, some time when you're kind of iterating as fast as, as this industry can um, or is starting to. But no, it has nothing to do with content spend. Look, I mean, we're competing really well. We just, you know, we just finished a cricket auction in India, two of them actually, one for the Indian Premier League and one for the BCCI, Facebook. which is the national. And in, you know, in both instances, big digital competitors were there. Um, and we have a great monetization platform there and we were able to invest the appropriate amount, a large amount, um, and secure really the bulk of cricket broadcasting for the next five to seven years in the country, which is a pretty good position to be in, in terms of if somebody new wants to come in, there's nothing to buy in cricket. So I think that's, yeah, it just shows that I don't think that's the case at all. And what I was explaining before as well, um, from our scripted investment, um, our film investment, our sports investment around the world, you know, we spend, we, we invest a ton uh, in this stuff and it's not really a question of not being able to compete with other people. What I was trying to explain was I actually think, I actually think the reason that we're doing, the reason that we're looking at this, this, this combination and with Disney that we've agreed to, is that we think that the resulting firm is a very attractive business, be, precisely because we actually have a velocity and a scale in our business that's very complementary with theirs. They recognize that. And, you know, and the combination is gonna be one that's just that much more competitive and more innovative going forward. Clearly that's been recognized, as we see from you know, uh, Comcast saying, they plan on making a, a, an offer in the future. We have to see if that materializes. But the reason they're doing that is actually because what we've built over many years um, at 21st Century Fox is pretty unique set of assets uh, that are really well positioned to go and do this. And our view is that you know, inorganically is gonna be the best way to sort of accelerate the beginning of whatever the next phase of this end game is. And the point about the, I didn't really get there before, the point about the sort of pack separating you know, the whole, all these businesses are a little bit different. I think what we've done, the choices we've made, where we've invested in, in what, have really separated us from some of the pack that may be subscale or haven't invested enough 
or are struggling with some of their legacy models where we've been able to really innovate faster and I think it's put us in a good position. In other words, there was nothing left out there that you, from your assessment, that you said if we buy this, we can be competitive with the various forces that are out there. Well, look, there's, you, have to, you have to take into account relative scale as well. But so right? you could have so waited for time buying, Warner, for I could have waited if, until you know. we were three times the size of Disney. I, I don't know when that's going to happen, right? I mean, you have to look at it, what's the right combination? And the buying versus selling is sort of semantics if you're focused on maximizing value for shareholders and actually getting the right deal that's going to create the right firm to go and compete going forward. Okay. We tried, Alex. I, we, we did Thank our best, you. Peter. James, you're great. Thank you for coming. I appreciate Thanks, it. Peter. Thank you, everyone. Thanks again. Thanks again for listening to this Code Conference special interview. Before we go, one more time, if you like this show, tell someone else about it. You are smart. You know how to do that. Thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to Cadence 13 and Vox Media. They bring those sponsors to you so you can listen to Recode Media for zero dollars, zero cents, free. Thanks to Joel Robbie, who edits this show. It's a lot of work. Thanks, Joel. Thanks to my producers, Gold Arthur and Eric Johnson, who also do a lot of work. Everyone's working very hard to bring awesome stuff to you. Thanks to you for listening. We'll be back very soon with more awesome free content.